So many of you know that the last three months of 2016, I was on sabbatical, which means that I had zero work responsibilities all of October, all of November, all of December, which means I had no emails to respond to. It just was amazing. And, and what it did is it like significantly changed my stress levels. Now, I don't consider myself super high-strung and super stressed out all the time, but apparently I carry around a lot of stress because once it was fully removed from me, I was just stunned at the way I was operating differently and the way I was able to enter into conversations with people differently. In fact, one afternoon, I went out to get my mail, and it was a beautiful fall day, and the sun was shining, and my neighbor happened to be out. And he's a great guy. I mean, he's the type of guy that you're so thankful to have as a neighbor, always willing to help and just really a good man. And so we were out there catching up on our families and what's going on, and, um, and then he stops, and he looks at me intensely in the face. Now, that made me a little uncomfortable, because you need to know a little something about Sabbatical Jody. Sabbatical Jody wore no makeup almost all the time, and Sabbatical Jody only wore clothing that had a high amount of stretchiness in it. And so when he paused and he looked me straight in the face, I was like, uh-oh, should have put some makeup on. He said these words, and I'm not lying to you, that these words came out of his mouth verbatim. Have you had some work done on your face? Uh, I didn't even know how to respond to that. I was like, uh, no. I, and then he says, are you sure? I think I would have remembered if I had some work done on my face. <laughs> and he said, well, I mean, you just, you look really good. Not flirtatious at all, just making an observation. And I was like, wow, thanks. So we finished our conversation. I walked back up my driveway and I thought two things. One, did he really just say that to me? <laughs> and two, I must really wear my stress. Either that, or I should never wear makeup again. <laughs> I have a feeling it was the stress thing. <laughs> but usually, that's not what people say to me, anyway. Usually, people say things to me like, are you feeling okay? <laughs> you don't look so good. Are you having a rough day? A little stressed out? See, I tend to think I have a poker face, but apparently I don't. I wear my emotions on my face. And if it's a really bad day and all of my buttons have been pushed at all of the right times, I don't just wear my emotions on my face. They come out in my attitudes and my actions and my words. And so I can be angry or passive aggressive or cold and shut down, maybe a little too sarcastic. And as embarrassed as I am to tell you that all of those things are true about me and that you might even experience some of that in me if you got me at just the right time on the right day, I know I'm not alone. I know the same is true for you as well. We let what is inside of us come out. 
And sometimes we're really good at stuffing it, aren't we? We feel all of this stuff and we can just hold it in <coughs> until something happens and the balloon is popped and out it comes onto the cashier, onto the person driving in the car next to us, our coworkers, our friends, the people we live with, in our worst moments, perhaps our pets, because <laughs> they can't say anything back. <laughs> and after we've settled down, and after we've walked away from that moment, and we feel different, we, we pause and we reflect, and we think, oh, I just wish I was different. I just wish that that was not my response. I wish that when all of those buttons were pushed, a different reaction would happen. And not even that I would just be better at stuffing it, not that I would just be better at holding all of those emotions in, but that I would truly be different. That what is inside of me would be different. And that that would come out and be reflected <coughs> in my attitudes, in my actions, in my words, perhaps even on my face. See, here's the beautiful truth of what God tells us. We can, in fact, be different. It's this transformation process that he has called us to. Do you remember our definition of a missionary disciple? Missionary disciple follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and then joins Jesus in his mission to bless the world. We did not make that definition up. It comes straight from Peter's calling. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, follow me, follows, and I will make you transformed. I'm going to make you into something different. And what was that? A fisher of people. I'm going to invite you to join me in my mission to bless the world comes straight from scripture. We are invited in to this transformation process where Jesus says, I will make you into something different. So with our time left this morning, I want us to think about what does transformation really mean? And I also want us to look at how can we participate in that transformation process? So what does transformation really mean? Well, as you studied in your passage, you saw this word come up uh, for Jesus, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. That is the same word of transformation. This word, transformation, is used actually only four times in the New Testament. We see it twice referring to Jesus' transfiguration. And so let's start there. Um, now, you've read this passage. I'm just going to read a brief part of it to remind you again what it says. This is Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light." That word, transfigured, is the word that we're going to look at today. And it is the Greek word, metamorpho. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I won't even pretend to be one. But I did listen to the pronunciation of that like six times on my computer software. So I believe that I'm saying it right, metamorpho. 
And that is a beautiful word. It means transforming the essential nature, a change that happens that is so radical and real on the inside that it appears on the outside. Now, God has given us a few beautiful examples of this, hasn't he, in nature, of metamorpho. Sounds like a word that we learned back in elementary school, doesn't it? Metamorphosis, where this little caterpillar changes, is totally transformed into a butterfly. This caterpillar, slow and plodding, crawls up onto a branch, weaves itself a cocoon, which is basically its own coffin, <coughs> climbs into it, submits itself to death, and then something miraculous happens that scientists can't really even explain, even today. All they know is it like totally turns into this sludgy stuff, and then something miraculous happens. A butterfly emerges. An animal that looked nothing like what it started out as. A total and complete transformation. And I think one of the reasons why we can't actually explain it with science is because this is a miracle that God has given us to illustrate what he is calling us to with transformation. Now, Jesus, when he was up on the mount of what we now call the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't so much transform. He wasn't a worm that became a butterfly. He revealed he revealed who he truly was, his essential nature, what was really on the inside. Almost think it's kind of like Clark Kent, right? You know, Clark Kent opens his shirt and you're like, oh, it's Superman. He was Superman all along. It falls short, right? It's, oh, it's, oh, it's God, yeah. It, but that's Jesus. I feel like he's pulling back. He's revealing what is truly his essential nature on the inside. And Peter has no idea how to describe this. Um, and he tries you probably read in the three different gospel accounts that talk about the transfiguration, that he says, well, his face, it shone like the sun. His clothes were dazzling. They were whiter than anyone could bleach them. And later, what Peter tells us in his epistles, in the two letters that Peter writes, he says, we were actually eyewitnesses to his majesty. See, we were seeing God. That is what was happening up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So the first two times in the New Testament that that word is used, it refers to Jesus in his revealing of what he really is. The other two times that word is used are about us and about the process that we are invited into to be transformed. Now, we only have time to study one of these, um, and that's the one in Romans. But I want to encourage you, if you want to go back, the other place that this word is used is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So we are invited in to the process to be transformed, which means that when we look back three years back, we should see real measurable change. We are always in process, and one of the truths about our transformation process is that it will never be complete this side of eternity, but we should 
see change. Three years, three months, however long you've been walking with Jesus, taking these slow steps forward with him, you should see real change in your life, real transformation. And so that's what we are invited into. And one of the ways that we participate with him is found in Romans, or one of the ways that we participate in our transformation process is found in Romans. Now, we just studied Romans 12, verse 2 in our lesson, but I want to back up and read verse 1 to you because I think there's some really important things in there. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Did you see it? We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That is the how that happens. But did you notice something else in that passage? That first we must offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Does that ring any bells to last week and to what Amy talked to us about? We have to be willing to die. She said over and over again, dead to self, alive in Christ, nothing else matters. We have to be willing to die to self so that we can become alive in Christ because truly nothing else matters. Dead to self, alive to Christ, nothing else matters. So first we have to be willing to die. Then we can enter into the process of renewing our mind. So I was thinking about what does renewal look like? You know, how do we renew things, make something new? I was thinking about, um, you know, my clothes. So if something gets on a stain or something like that, I'll wash it, wash the dirt out, and, and I pull it out, and usually it looks new again. Um, or maybe a better illustration would be like a house. You know, you buy an old dilapidated house and nothing works in it. What do you do? You go in and you start pulling out all of the old stuff and then you start putting it back together, putting new things in that work. You renew it. You make it into a functioning house again. And I think both of those are true of how we need to renew our mind. We renew our mind by washing it with truth. And sometimes we need to renew our mind by actually going in and pulling out the old, the lies, the things that are broken and wrong, and then putting the true and the right things in. And there is nothing truer and there is nothing more right than God's truth. And we find God's truth in God's word. And so one of the ways that I think we renew our mind, probably the most important way we renew our mind is by letting God's words speak truth over us. We have just daily, we have moment by moment decisions that we get to make to either be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is what Romans tells us, or to renew our mind. And so we create space to renew our mind by listening to God's truth by not just reading the word for head knowledge, but reading the word to let it come into our heart, 
to make that journey down into our heart, creating space to reflect, asking the Holy Spirit to show up and teach me what you have to teach me from this truth. And that is one of the ways that we renew our mind. Now, I want you to think back to um, what we learned in the transfiguration, because I think one of the ways that we're called in Romans to renew our mind is to create space to listen. Um, And I love that this is not the only place that we are told to listen. Back in the transfiguration, Peter does what Peter does so well, is he blurts out some of his, his poorly timed but yet passionate words, and God interrupts him. This may be truly one of my favorite things that I discovered in studying Peter. God interrupts Peter. He's like, "Mm mm-mm, you just need to be quiet for a moment. And he says this, while he, Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter, stop talking and start listening. And maybe one of the reasons why I loved this so much is because it was so personal to me. I felt like Jesus was saying the same thing to me. Jody, stop talking and create some space to listen. See, I'm a a verbal processor. And sometimes I need to just stop verbally processing and be still and quiet to let the Lord show up. So what about you? Are you listening to Jesus? And perhaps the better question to ask is, are you being transformed? Do you see real progress in your life, real change happening because you've been listening to Jesus? And as we discovered in our lesson, we don't just listen to hear, we listen to act. That is what God wants us to do. Just like when we tell our children, listen to me. It's not so that they can just walk away and do whatever they want. Okay, maybe this is just me and my children. (laughs) It's so that hopefully they change. Listen. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you seeing real transformation happen in your life? And if not... And even if you are, hopefully it is encouraging to you to continue in that process of creating space to listen to God. Now, we, in our lesson, we had this activity where you got to set five minutes to just be silent, to sit in silence with the Lord. And I really hope that you did that. If not, I would encourage you to do it this week. Um, What we're going to do now is we're going to actually create some space to listen to God again. But we're not going to do it through silence Um, we're going to do it through an activity called Lectio Divina. Now, this is a a Christian meditation that has actually been around since probably the 5th century. Um, Lectio Divina is Latin. It just simply means divine or sacred reading. And so we are going to just allow God's word to speak to us, and we're going to ask God to just come and reveal truth to us. Now, um, 
If you find this activity meaningful, I want to recommend a book for you at the outset. It's called Meeting God in Scripture, and it's by Jan Johnson. I'll have it in the back so you can look at it. You can get it on Amazon. Um, And it is 40 guided Lectio exercises. Um, And so it's a great book. And she in there talks about the difference between meditation and Bible study. And so I want to read to you what she says. She says, to meditate on scripture is different from study. Instead of dissecting it, we savor the text and we hold it in our minds, allowing time for God to speak to us. Study of scripture involves analytical reading for information, while meditation on scripture is an attentive style of reading for the formation of the soul. Now, we believe both are really important. And Bible study often leads to meditation as God reveals something to us and we savor it. We hold it in our mind. We also think that Bible study is really important as a complement to meditation because you need to understand the whole of God's scripture, the story of where he's going, and also to understand the context of the scripture that you're even meditating on. Because what God was saying to the original audience matters for what he is saying to us as well. So that is one of the reasons why we do Bible study every week. But we also want to create some space for meditation. And so I'm going to lead us through this Lectio exercise. Um, now, there's, there's four movements that you go through. Um, the first is reading, and then reflecting, responding, and then just resting for a moment in God and what he's done. So read, respond, reflect, and rest. And I don't want you to be anxious about where we're going or what we're going to do. I'm going to walk us every step of the way through it. But we're going to take a short passage And we're just going to read about six verses, and we'll do it the same passage three different times, so you'll get to hear it multiple times. And we're just going to invite God in to teach us. Now, what I want us to do to do this is I want us to break into um, some smaller groups. So groups of three, four, and if you need to do five, you can do five. Um, Stay in your group and... um, and you don't need to move to another group, but as you're moving, go ahead and, and, and just cluster your chairs. As you're moving, take your Bible study book with you and something to write with. Try not to get into a group of two, though. I, it really, it's nice to have at least three. So as you're doing that, let me set up this passage for you a little bit. So Jesus, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, or Peter, when he was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, witnessing all of this with um, Jesus, is told in no uncertain terms by God, listen to Jesus. And so as I was praying about what passage should we read, I was thinking, well, you know what we should do is we should just listen to some of Jesus' next words to the disciples. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, So to bring you up to speed on where we are in the story, they've come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There has been another healing. There has been another miracle. And then they start a journey to another destination. And as the disciples are walking along this journey, they start to argue with one another. Now, 
we will find out quickly in this passage, they're arguing about who's the greatest among them. Um, and, you know, it seems a little silly to us, but imagine you're in this group of 12 people and three of them keep getting called out for something special. Peter, James, and John, they keep getting pulled away. And Peter, in particular, keeps getting invited into experiences that nobody else gets to have. So it kind of makes sense that they're a little bit wondering, arguing, um, who is the greatest? So that is the passage that we're setting up. It is in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. Now, um, I want to encourage you not to have your Bible open. I just want you to listen to the words. Um, I also want to encourage you to um, put your phone away so that it's not tempting to distract you. And um, let's just take a couple of deep breaths to kind of set our posture before God. And you may want to um, put your hands on your lap open and just breathe in. And as you're breathing in, just ask the Lord, come. And then as you breathe out, give him all of the things that are threatening to derail you today. All the distractions, even distractions in this room. Things that you need to move into, just hand those over to him. Take another deep breath in. Let me pray for us. This is from Psalm 123. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, we ask you to show up. Holy Spirit, we invite you in to this place. As we hear your words, we ask that they would pierce our heart. That you would reveal to us what you have for us in this moment. Come into this space, Lord Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening to you. Now I'm going to read this passage over you, and there's really just this first time we read it is just so you can hear the words. You don't need to try and retain or remember anything. Something may jump out to you, and that's fine. But this is just to ground you in the words that we are listening to today. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their necks and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, I want to give you a quick... Um, Note on one of the terms that's used in this passage, the term kingdom of heaven. 
is used multiple times. And Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers use the term kingdom of God. Matthew was writing to the Jews, and so they did not use God's name. So that's why they would say kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. But for them, the kingdom of heaven was actually something that began on earth and extended up into heaven. And it was God's rule and reign and intervention that would set things right. So that is what they were asking. When God rules and reigns and intervenes to set things right. Okay, so this time I'm going to read the passage to you again. And I want you to allow the Lord to draw your attention to one word or phrase in this passage. And just hold on to that. And I want to also encourage you, don't overthink this. Just let one word or phrase rise to the surface. You can hold that in your mind. You can write it down if you want. Reading again from Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So now I want you just to um, share just that word or phrase, no comment. Um, you can affirm each other with your body language, but we're just going to briefly share quietly in those small groups of three. What, what word was God bringing to your attention? Go ahead and do that now. Okay, I'm going to pull us back, and I'm going to read this passage to us one more time. And this time, I just want you to ask God, as you are listening to that, what is it that you want me to pay attention to about that word or that phrase? What are you inviting me into? Let's listen again. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So I want to invite you now. Um, there's a reflection question on the screen. Um, 
and you can journal or you can just pray. I will read it to you. And you're going to have three minutes to just respond to God, you and God. And we ask that we would remain um, in a posture of prayer and quiet while we do this. So how is God inviting you to respond? Is there a sin to confess, a truth to remember, or a step of trust that you need to take? So there'll be three minutes on the screen and, um, and some soft music playing, so we just have some time to respond to God. You're welcome to write or just sit silently and talk to him. Okay, I'm going to um, pull us back, and I want you to go ahead and um, for the next three minutes, share in your group as you feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable sharing um, what God has said to you what you feel like he's leading you to, um, then you don't need to. But um, this is a time to just share not what the experience was like. Uh, we'll do that processing with our group, but just to share in our group um, kind of what you feel like God is stirring in you as a result of this. So there'll be three minutes on the screen so that you can kind of um, pace yourselves to share a little bit. So you can go ahead and do that now. Okay. I know that you guys can keep talking. Um, but what I want us to do now is just um, enter into prayer with that group of three. And would you pray for each other um, from what you've either shared or just however the Lord leads you? Um, perhaps even you need to pray for yourself. Any of those are acceptable. We're just going to do um, just a brief two minutes to pray. Um, and then I will, um, after that two minutes, I'm going to close us in prayer. So I will cut some of you off, and I apologize in advance for that. Um, and we're just going to take a moment to rest in that closing. So go ahead and, um, and join each other in praying. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are good and loving to us and that you call us to more. So Lord, right now, we just want to take a moment to rest in your love, rest in your peace, rest in the truth that perhaps you've revealed to us. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful that we serve a God who is alive, who speaks to us and who doesn't want to leave us where we are. So we praise you this morning. Amen. So I want to invite you now to um, come back into your group and just have a time to process kind of what was that experience like? We're just going to have about eight minutes um, to do that. I'd love for you to give space for each woman to share um, what that was like. And it is okay if the experience was not great. That's part of processing. But hopefully, um, as you hear other women and perhaps how God showed up and spoke to them in some way, that will encourage your soul um, in this time as well. So um, share briefly how the experience was for you. And um, if you feel comfortable and you want to share how the Lord spoke to you, please take time to do that. So there'll be eight minutes to do that. And then I will come back up and close. All right. So I hope that that uh, Lectio Divina exercise for you was good. 
And there's a transforming, that's the word I'm looking for. I'm hoping that it helped renew your mind because God's truth was being spoken into your heart and your soul. You know, um, our vision here at IBC over the next five years is that we would become a transformed people who transform our city. And hopefully that makes a little more sense to you now. When you think about what does a transformed person look like? What would it look like for you and for me to be totally and completely transformed? We would be totally different people, wouldn't we? If we no longer conformed to what the world wanted from us, required from us, told us was truth, but we listened to what God says, this is truth. This is who I've created you to be. This is who I want you to be we will be transformed. And when we are transformed, there's no helping that those around us get it spilled out on them, right? And not in a negative way, but a positive way. And so we will transform our city. That's who we want to be. And I believe that's who you want to be as well. We want to be transformed.